culture is the shadow of your organization. So if you change anything in your organization, like your operations, your strategy, your go-to-market, your shadow has to adjust with you. The workforce landscape is rapidly changing, and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us, you the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together, and it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo, and this is The Future of Work. Nikki Lee, principal of Ernest & Young, poses the question, how are we reimagining how we show up to work? whether that be in a physical world or a virtual world. And the answer lies within how a company is or isn't leaning into cultivating the culture. What used to be considered the fluff stuff has risen to the top as the most important to address, the human piece. The trick becomes finding ways to meet executive leaders' goals and objectives while being sensitive to the culture and employee engagement. Welcome back, listeners, to the Future of Work podcast hosted by Pasadena City College. And your host here, Salvatrice, Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development. Today, we are here with Nikki Lee, Principal at Ernst & Young. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Salvatrice. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I love this topic, so I'm excited to talk about it with you today. Very good. Awesome. Today, we're going to spend some time really kind of talking about the advisory services and kind of going, you know, doing a little deep dive on career and the pandemic and equity, inclusion uh, and diversity. And so it's going to be a jam packed episode, but if you don't mind, shall we get started? Sounds great. Awesome. Uh, Nikki, why don't we start with this? Why don't we start with uh, describe your work at Ernst & Young under the People Advisory Services Practice and your role specifically? Great. So I am in a, a practice that focuses on the human side of an organization. So we do everything as it relates to the talent individuals, so all the way from what you call hire to retire. We also help with the talent strategy. And so actually one of my areas of expertise is around employee engagement, employee experience, and especially in a transaction setting. So that would be um, generally if there is a, an acquisition, a divestiture, or a spin. 
However, over the course of the last six months, as you can imagine with COVID, there's been a lot of activity in this space. And because I do heavily focus on culture and employee experience, I've made the segue into the new future of work and the sort of new work reimagined space um, due to the COVID impact. What are, that's interesting. So culture and employee engagement, that's, that's very delicate. It's delicate in that it takes time. It's delicate in that it, you have a ton of personalities and, and characters on the team. How, how did you get that started? Like, what are some, some of the small steps that, um, that you've taken thus far to start shifting the culture a little bit or just make sure that you're, you know, the employee engagement is, is where you'd like it to be? Yeah. So actually, you know, it started when I, this is like probably 15 years ago where I was at a company and I was acquired and I was the HR leader. And then going through that experience, it really hit me that in many ways, the leadership team often views employees as just sort of a part of a pipeline. Like we're just a supply chain, right? And so mm -hmm. in some ways mm -hmm. we're very intangible. And I thought they did a good job of bringing us in and having us be part of the company, but I didn't feel they did a great job. And I thought I, through that experience that I went through, I just felt like there's, there's a lot you could do to have your employees be more engaged when they go through a very disruptive period in their time, right? So if you think of an acquisition, mm -hmm. employees don't have a choice. To go to that other company, right? It's like we're getting acquired. And if you don't want to go, you can leave, but we're, we're going. Right. And so through that, it's, it's been very interesting. So I would say being honest and transparent with your communications, having two way conversations, allowing them to really get to know and understand and feel where the leadership's taking them. And then at the end of the day, they want to be tied and connected to an organization that in some right. way represents who they are and who their values are. And that's all part of like that employee value proposition. And you're seeing it play out today with COVID and how the leadership team and how companies are handling employees as they're going through this disruptive period. Now in that value proposition, what you called, like what is the, the employee's mm -hmm. value proposition? Has there been any thing that you've said or any or any request that's come your way that you're just like hmm that wouldn't have been a request or that would that's kind of surprising to me coming from our employees uh, during this acquisition you know I think there's there isn't anything that surprises me anymore <laughs> <laughs> through, through the number of acquisitions we've done oh, I, I would bet. say I think the surprises are probably more from sometimes the leadership teams mm. where you can tell there's a big disconnect with them in terms of where their focus is or in the way they feel they should um, address employees if there's an issue. So I do feel like it's probably in more cases I've seen the disconnect from the leadership level and they're just not connecting with the employees. Obviously there's times where employees or a group of employees have unrealistic expectations that we have to jump in there and address, but those you just sort of take head on and you address them head on and then you, you sort of move on. Right. But I think it's when the leadership team is just not as engaged or they feel like, well, what my way or the highway, that's where it gets right. to be a lot more challenging, right. To make that transition for the employees. 
Right. I, I would imagine that a significant part of your work is really coaching and helping these business leaders and their organizations to meet their objectives while maintaining um, mm-hmm. or being sensitive to, right? Like the culture yeah. and the employee engagement. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And is there, you know, especially right now during this very kind of flux time that we're in, right? Mm-hmm. Is what has been or what are you advising them right now during this time as leaders? It's very stressful, I would imagine, um, especially doing it during a time of, of COVID. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say that we're advising. So culture has risen to the top of top of discussion topics with our C-suite. So as an example, about six weeks ago, I was doing a, a round table with CFOs in the Los Angeles area. And, you know, normally they're focused on headcount costs. How am I going to maintain my bottom line given that our revenues are down, et cetera, et cetera. I would say 50% of the conversation for them was around culture. And they were asking, mm-hmm. how are we going to maintain our culture in a remote environment? Right. Yes. How do we maintain this connection? And, and in this forum, half the companies were still hiring. And so they're saying, how do we get new people on board and get them connected with mm-hmm. the rest of the organization when they haven't met anyone in person, when everybody's remote? And so you can see the change in the fact that culture is top of mind for everybody. And how do we keep people engaged? And here's, the reality of it in a situation like this, when the economy's taken a turn, you're not going to have the turnover that you normally would have. But mm-hmm. if people do leave, it's generally going to be your top performers, right? So there should right. always be a focus on your key talent that if you need to retain them and they're critical to your organization, you should acknowledge them. You should do something to address that if there's a concern with them. And so I think that's one of the areas where organizations have to take a look inside of themselves and see where they want to put some focus. And earlier you'd asked me about diversity, inclusion, and equality, right? And that's another Mm -hmm. factor that's really risen to the occasion due Mm -hmm. to the whole George George Floyd incident, right? Where now companies are really doing some soul searching around what could we do to be different? How are we treating our own people? And not only how are we treating our own people, but what are we doing to attract the a diverse and inclusive organization that I want us to be, right? How do I reflect mm-hmm. what we should look like in, in, in our community? So th- those are great conversations that we're having that I would say in the past, If we were trying to advise our clients on that, many times they would say, oh, that's the fluff stuff. We don't need to talk about that. That doesn't matter. That That's not important, right? And now humans at the center of organization, it's a really important topic. And those conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and when we're looking to build and maintain and retain our talent, have there been any wow ideas or, you know, what does that process look like at meetings and having these conversations about equity, diversity, and inclusion? Is there a best practice? Are we still learning from it? Help me understand a little bit more about, about how you're approaching that. 
Yeah, it's a great question. So there's definitely some best practices, I would say, that are rising to the occasion right now. I think the first thing that a lot of organizations are doing are they're just having some tough conversations internally. And when I say tough conversations, it's going out, sitting down, having whether they're one-on-ones, department, smaller group conversations to really look and see what we as a leadership team, what are we doing to ensure that we are treating everyone equitably? We're looking across all of our employees and regardless of the race, gender, background, that we're giving everyone an equal opportunity in our organization, right? Because we all have talked about unconscious bias and, and how that sometimes comes into play. But I would say that what's been really a big aha moment for me is really seeing these leaders take it to heart. And it's it's been you know, more than just, oh, we're going to give back to our community and we're going to donate money here. Like they're really taking this to heart and really hearing some of the stories come from their own employees about how maybe they were not treated that well in their organizations. Right. And so I think that's been probably more of an eye-opening experience for me just because as you facilitate or you encourage or advise our clients, in the past, they probably wouldn't have been as open to having these conversations, but now they're definitely having them. And I think they're also looking at around what can we do better in our communities to support our employees? Or why don't we spend support our communities like the education, like universities and colleges, right? So let's go out there and let's start at the college level. Let's start before they even join us before they even come to our company and let's make a difference there. Right. And then we're going to do grassroots efforts. And, and so I think what employees are looking for right now is what their leaders are doing. Are their leaders really putting their heart and soul into making a difference and making a change? Or is it all just lip service because that's the right thing to say or do right now? Right. It sounds like too, you're embedding it, you're, you're embedding the practice into the culture, right? So you're influencing the culture earlier. You spoke about, you know, maintaining the culture, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really awesome to hear that not only is there an effort to maintain the culture and I'd love to learn how you're doing that, but it sounds like also too, you're, in, we're coaching leaders or we're seeing leaders embed new mindsets into the culture so that to your point they're starting at it or they're starting early you know they're starting we're starting to influence folks at a very early age about these conversations and about really about you know who the organization is and what they stand for mm-hmm. absolutely and when you look around at different organizations out there the ones that do a lot of philanthropy the ones that do a lot of mm-hmm. community service like there's a requirement for you to do a community service as part of working there. Those organizations tend to do better in times like this, in times of distress. And also the type of people they recruit tend to be a more of a high, I wouldn't say higher caliber, but tend to be more in line with that philosophy that they have in their organizations. Mm-hmm. And I, that comes from the top. And the other thing that you can do, right? So 
organizations are surveying or pulsing their employees right now constantly to check in. That's, mm-hmm. that's definitely new. I mean, yes, companies always run employee surveys, but then I would say 50% of the time they're like, if they don't like the results, they're like, okay, let's just pretend this didn't happen and then we'll move on. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so true. So true. It doesn't always, right. And I'm a big believer. Like if you're going to survey, you better do something with those survey results, whether or not you like what the results have to say. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so, I think pulsing. And so one of the things that we do, um, that, that we do is we run a, like a culture fitness diagnostic, which is you survey your employees and you, you ask them traits. Like what are the five best traits you have in your organization today? What are the five traits, traits you would stop doing? So it's sort of a keep, stop and start, right? So what are the five in those Mm -hmm. categories? And then what it does is it creates a culture roadmap for you. So it shows you this is where you are today. This is where you need to be. And then it helps you adjust the behaviors or identify the behaviors in your organization that you want to adjust to be the culture of tomorrow. So we call that like a from to roadmap to help um, companies understand, hey, this is your vision for your culture of what you want. But this is really where you are today. And so you're going to have to shift and you're going to have to change behaviors. And this is how you'll do it. And it's usually a tough road, right? I mean, you can imagine is trying to get people to change how they usually handle situations, how they deal with customers, how they go to go to market. All those, you know, behaviors are ingrained in us. And that's what I do actually find as a silver lining with COVID is it was like a jolt to a lot of mm. industries and organizations where it really forced them to have to look inside and then make that change. And then, so with COVID and then with the George Floyd inf- incident, these two things have sort of merged together to really give a big jolt to the organ to companies. Yeah. I, yes. And both small, you know, all small, medium and large companies. It really it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. It really mm-hmm. doesn't matter. And that culture fit diagnostic, did I say that correctly? Mm-hmm. Yes. That is fascinating. I would so love to see it after this episode. <laughs> I really would want to take a look at it. Is that proprietary to um, Ernst & Young? Or is that, you know, I as a business leader of a medium-sized organization, you know, could I, where could I get access to that? Or how do I begin that? Do you have any, a resource for them by chance or? Yeah. So I could definitely share some information on it. It is a proprietary tool to EY that we, you, you can leverage in a number of different situations. And then the, there's a couple of like components to it. So you don't have to take all the components, but there's one that's called an or that complements it called an org network analysis. You might have heard of this one too, an ONA, which basically takes data or information in your organization and it shows you who your influencers are in your organization. These are called informal networks. So you have your formal networks, right? Which is your boss and your command chain of command. Then you have your informal networks, which are your influencers, your change agents in your organization. And, and through our tool that we've created, we can 
One, understand where your culture is, what it looks like today, where you want to be. And then the second part of that is to say, okay, great. Let's go find who your influencers are, who are going to be the people that will help make the change in the right direction and help lead you on the right way other than just a CEO saying, we're going to change. Yeah, that's, that's really great. That's really great. So it's called org network analysis. Yeah. So for the listener who's a leader out there, <laughs> check it, really look into that because culture is, is, you know, 99% of what we do as leaders is cultivating culture and nurturing culture um, because with without it, right, there's yeah. the functionality of the organization starts to really fall apart. Yes. And so to invest in the time and, you know, both time and resources into, you know, doing analyses like this, I find it very, very, you know, fascinating and worth the investment is what I'm really trying to say here. And I think about a lot, you know, the conversations that we have with our students and with our alum that come back to us and say, you know, I've, I'm really trying to make a decision about X, Y, Z, you know, us as educators and us as the, you know, we're, we're cultivating and nurturing the talent, right? And we're sharing mm -hmm. with them how to best prepare for that workforce, current and future. So for now, what recommendation would you give for for the alums and the students that are going into the workforce, particularly during this time of the pandemic? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. So right now, because there's so much disruption going on, it's hard to, to really pin down one answer to, hey, this is the solution and this is what's going to help them land that job that they're looking for. But the one thing I do know that companies are looking for when they're out recruiting, right, is they want people who have the ability to be flexible right now because that's really important to be able to adjust mm -hmm. to whatever situation you have. I think being persistent is going to be hugely critical. And I would say you have to get creative in where you're looking for your opportunities. I do think there's a lot of companies out there still hiring today, even though it may seem very bleak. But you, you got to look, you're going to need to do the research because your industry is going to make a difference, right? Like a oil and gas. They're, they're struggling at the moment, right? Because just people aren't, many people aren't, aren't driving, oil prices are down. So that industry is going to be a little bit more of a struggle at the moment. It doesn't mean it's going to stay that way, but that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. And then on the flip mm -hmm. side, you have the power and utility companies, right? So those ones are continuing to do well. They're evolving. And so one of the spaces I would say to look at is look in the power and utility space. That's probably the first place someone says, why would I want to go work for utility? That doesn't sound exciting to me. But believe it or not, the utilities are doing a lot with how they're managing their businesses. They're being more resourceful. They're looking for people with a strong technical background. They have to, mm -hmm. you know, many cases they have to update their grids. They got to bring them into mm -hmm. be modernized. They're competing with the solar industry. So yep. Yep. there's that aspect of it. So 
I would not always just say, oh, you know, that industry doesn't appeal to me because you'd be surprised at the types of jobs that exist in some of these industries where people think that's not like a sexy industry. Right, right. But there's so much, there's a diverse talent pool that they're really looking for and occupations. I mean, you could have a graphic designer go into power and utilities. You could have yes. someone in accounting go into power and utilities. I mean, there's so many uh, occupations and I, and... I think it's incumbent upon um, us as educators to really share mm-hmm. what those what those occupations are and be mindful that you know really kind of seeing it through a different lens, like taking taking away the traditional lens of occupations mm-hmm. and the future of work, mm-hmm. and really thinking more about cross pollination of occupations where we you know it's about flexibility and it's about and not just having not just having hard skills but having soft skills and you know mm-hmm. there's. It, so I can I can see how that would be really beneficial for us to kind of put you know put a focus on that too. I think sometimes we struggle like we struggle with you know and I and I see it too. I mean sometimes I I struggle too with kind of thinking about or being connected to and I think that's like the biggest reasons why we're we're doing these podcasts is because we want to learn more and we want mm-hmm. to share more. There are occupations like that's a great idea. Who would have thought power and utility? Who would have thought of it? You know? because <laughs> exactly. It's such, because it's right. Because it's such a traditional industry, yet it's a thriving industry that is doing things a little bit more innovatively to to stay relevant to you know against this competitor, solar. You know, so yeah, you know, right? And, and exactly. you know, and, and we take we take for granted kind of like this overarching like big picture stuff. But thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. You know. Out of complete curiosity, Nikki, this is total curiosity. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is not like, <laughs> kind of going away from, from our topic right now, but I want to know, how did you, how did, how did this career path work out for you? Like, you know, how did you get to, e, to EY? Um, what was that journey like for you? Sure, absolutely. So background is I was born and raised in Hawaii, went to school all the way through university out there and fell in love with human resources. I took a HR class with this amazing woman and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna go be a union litigator. I'm gonna go represent unions. I just thought it was the most amazing thing. Uh, and then I ended up tra- moving to California about 20 years ago and I my first job out of college was in this temporary industry, staffing industry. And I did light industrial staffing and it was, uh, a whole nother world I can't even describe, but it was rewarding yet very, very challenging. And so I did that for about eight months. Uh, and then mm-hmm. a HR person said, Hey, I'm going on maternity leave. Do you know anyone who would want to backfill me? And I was like, yes, I will. Cause I was <laughs> like, I need to get out of here. So I put myself in as a candidate for the, for this job. And, oh, it was, um, I don't know if you remember, do you remember the Y2K period? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Some of your listeners yeah. may not know Y2K, but right where we all thought doomsday with the year 2000 coming. And yeah. so I got a job in this HR, in HR at this company. They were, they were the Y2K preppers. Like we went out and we updated everybody's systems so that the year 2000 would not completely blow up their systems. 
which sounds so crazy right now, but I yes. doesn't it? I know. <laughs> it's like, In that's what we did. Uh-huh. I know. Uh-huh. Um, and then, so from there, I leapfrogged over to a company called Linksys. I'm sure many people are aware of that. They're a router, wireless router company. Mm-hmm. I was their HR person there. And then we got acquired by Cisco Systems. So mm-hmm. that was my experience of getting acquired. They're amazing. They've, they are like the industry behemoth in that space. And back in, gosh, I don't know, was that 2002, three, one, they were the firm that everybody looked up to the company of, they could do it, right? They had a machine and they acquisition wise, they did it. So I went in and um, did that for a number of years um, up until about 2012. And then me and another, a couple other partner uh, colleagues left Cisco and started our own boutique consulting firm. So, awesome. yeah, so we were very niche. HR M&A mm-hmm. was our space and we did that um, for five years. We loved it. We had our own firm. We were growing. We were doing amazing. And then EY came into the picture and reached out and talked to us and, you know, gave us an offer that was really hard to refuse. And so here I am four years later at EY. <laughs> um, we brought our team in with us. My other partner, Sherry Yoakum, she's a partner here at the firm and doing amazing things as well. And so that's how I got to this part in my life. That's so, that's so awesome. I see, this is why I love asking these questions because, <laughs> you know, sometimes we think about, you know, it's just, you know, we go to A to B, then we go to C and then, you know, it's, it's very scripted how our career path is. And it, and it really isn't. It's really no. about, right. It's just really about taking chances and risks and opportunities and you being really, you know, vulnerable about like, Hey, like I'll step into that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, I'll give it a shot. Wanna, uh, yeah, I'll give it a shot and just take that, take those yeah. risks. And sometimes those risks are definitely worth taking. They are. And you have to be passionate. I mean, that's the one thing I always tell people. I'm very passionate about human beings in general, but mm-hmm. in terms of like a transaction. And so I followed my passion. And I know that's cliche, but it mm-hmm. does make a difference. It really does. And I, I sometimes reframe it. And tell me what you think about this. I sometimes reframe it as you just got to be curious about curiosity. You know, you just got to go dig. If you're curious about something, just go do it. And that'll tell you. And that'll, 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 it'll tell you where, which direction you need to go into, (laughs) you know? Absolutely. So the one thing I found with human resources is you have the ability to be very broad in your experience or very deep in your experience. Mm. And that's what I like about it is it gives you you, these different dimensions of where you want to be. So I'll I'll give you an example. So in my space, doing mergers and acquisitions, I'm very broad. I have to know a lot, a little about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So whether you're, because I deal with employees in all different aspects of their life. Are they, are they, an immigrant who's here on a visa because their experience and what they're going to go through when they get acquired will be different than a person who is about to have a baby and go out of maternity leave. Right. So then I need to know a little bit about leaves of absence and then, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I have, you're dealing with compensation, you're dealing with benefits, you're dealing with different levels in the organization. So executives, to the middle management, to the frontline employees, you got union and non-union. So for me, any deal I do, 
every day is a different day. I come in and I don't know what I'm going to deal with. And I like that. I like being a troubleshooter. I like just, you know, um, being in the middle of trying to solve the hundreds of different problems we have on a deal. Then there are people who I work with within HR who are very deep, right? The, the global mobility expert who knows everything from A to Z on immigration and moving employees around the world. I deal with the deep based benefits person. So essentially what I say with people when they go into HR, cause I often give people are constantly reaching out to me for counsel on this. Like, what do I do? Should I stay in consulting or should I go into corporate? I feel like HR is one of the most flexible functions in an organization because you have this great ability to make a difference in a person's life. And we touch mm -hmm. their lives. If they're going through a hard time, if they've lost someone, if they're getting hired, if they're getting fired, it's just that you touch them in so many different ways personally, and you can mm -hmm. leave a lasting impression on them. And so for me, make sure you have empathy when you come into mm -hmm. HR. You mm -hmm. have to always look at the big picture when you come into HR, and you can be very multidimensional. And you don't have to stay in one area of HR. It's very... I shouldn't say easy, but it's possible to move from one area to another. It's just that if you're an analyst and you love numbers and you want to be a number cruncher, then you could be in payroll or you could be in benefits, right? Or pensions. And so it, it gives you that dimension that I feel like in this field, yes, accounting can be do that, but I feel like accounting is a little bit more you know, you got to be a little bit more very mm -hmm. specific in your area. Whereas mm -hmm. HR, you have a lot that you can do in this space. And I've seen over the, over my career what you know, HR was, what do we used to call it? Personnel, right? And then yes. they, you know, like we were paper pushers, we were administrators and I've seen the transition and these amazing men and women that are HR leaders step up and challenge and take a company strategy, right? They partner with the CEO and said, this is your strategy. This is where you want to go. Guess what? I'll, I'll partner with you and we're going to change our employee strategy because that's the only way we can get there. And the best way to describe it is like culture is the shadow of your organization, so if you change anything in your organization, like your operations, your strategy, your go-to-market, your shadow has to adjust with you. And as you know, as many people know, that when someone takes a selfie and the shadow's off, doesn't everyone say, that's a fake selfie, or you you photoshopped your <laughs> selfie because your shadow is not right. Yeah. It's similar to that in an organization, right? Your, your people, things get out of whack if you don't do that, and that's where HR is fantastic. You come in and you help drive that and make sure the shadow is aligned to an organization. So you're influencers of the overall big picture of the organization. Uh -huh. Because without, without what you said, without HR's presence at the table, yeah. these strategies or the, the plans or the culture, all that good stuff, it really... It won't work. It just won't Correct. work because it doesn't because work. You need the people. You just, yes. you just need the people to do it. And I love, I love that you said it's dimensional. I hadn't thought about it that way. You know, I, just like I'm sure many of our listeners, we think about human resources as very linear, uh -huh. and it's not. 
No, it's absolutely not right. You're saying it's polar opposite of, of yeah, that. It is. And it's really exciting. I, I'm going to be really excited to see your interest in seeing how the new world of work, how the future of work and the occupations all be coming through human resources, because it is going to be a little bit different for us with our new normal now. And then, you know, post COVID and everything else that's happening in the world, it's going to be interesting to see what occupations come up. Yeah. And, and, and what that looks like. Yeah. And it's funny. So, so now the hot topic, right, is work reimagined. So how are we reimagining how we show up to work, whether it's in a virtual world or in a physical world? And so that whole mindset shift is critical and it's going to be driven through the culture. And so now that we finally have the attention of the C-suite and the recognition, like this is really important to get right or or my company may not be around in two, three years. It's, it's really an important role and it's a great time for people to get into the space. That's so, that's so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'll tell you what, I mean, you talked about lasting impression and you certainly have given me a lasting impression and oh, thank you, know, you. you certainly have. I mean, I learned so much. I learned a lot today. Thank you for that. I mean, not, not just, the world of human resources and the work that you do, but just overall big picture about, you know, as, as the listener, who's an employee, here's what I heard. I heard take a risk, be flexible, be persistent and do the homework, do the homework around what industries um, are actually growing. And then from the employer side, cultivate the culture, right? Yeah. Um, spend time on cultivating the culture because that is what's going to drive your organization. And it's the shadow of your organization. Well, thank you, Nikki. It has been such a pleasure to speaking with you today. And for our listener out there, how could how could they find you if they wanted to connect? Any social sites you want to social sites you want to share? No, you know it's so funny. I I am on LinkedIn. People are welcome to reach out to me at nikki.lee at ey.com. It's spelled Nikki with one K, no Y's, just N I K I. Thank you so much for having me today, and I love the conversation. Well, thank you so much. We will catch you at the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast presented by Pasadena City College. If you'd like to get involved and have resources to share or be a guest on the show, you can find a link to our webpage to reach out to us in the show notes. Also, don't forget to subscribe and tell us your thoughts about the show. This helps more people like you discover the podcast and you can look forward to new episodes every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts.